Hey, Ray. Hello, David. How are you doing, man? I'm doing good. How are you? I am good. It's a beautiful sunny day here in Ketchikan. And That's yeah, rare. Yeah. The salmon are in the creek. There are millions of them in the creek, it seems. It's so this wild. is August of the year, late August. It is, August. it is August of the year, and by golly, they are back with a vengeance. Are there huge carcass? It's already lots of uh, aroma in the neighborhood. Oh, right, right. Yes, yes, yes. The carcass is laying about, and it's already it's stinky in August, man. So it's an early run. Sure. And uh, how are the salmon runs? Predicted 20 million humpies because there was a really hard winter with uh, deep freezing weather. But lo and behold, there's 40 million that have come back at least. So it's twice the number. There's lots of stray dog salmon in the <laughs> creek too. And so, yeah. And is that for a geographical area like Ketchikan only or Southeast Alaska or, or what's the area? I think it's southern southeast, so uh, it's generally the whole area there. Okay, so that encompasses a lot of river systems. Ray, the electricity I'm using today for my computer and this podcast yes. is coming from my brand new 16-panel solar array and Tesla Powerwall. So it's coming directly from the sun. You That's are right. solar-powered, man. I am now plugged into the fusion reactor up in the sky. So uh, on this podcast, like right now, you are yeah. solar powered. Yeah, wow. exactly. Wow, you're off the That's grid, cool. Dave. I wow. Know. So so let's go back in time, 13,000 years ago, where there wasn't, well, the, the sun did exist. Oh, yeah. And There's there were certain happen. kinds of solar power. Yeah, that's a brilliant segue, man, because there's this new paper that's come out by a couple of our previous guests, right? That's right. Reagan Dunn and Emily Lindsay both are scientists at the La Brea Tar Pits. Which is where your paleo fascination uh, took off as a child. That's right. Yep. That's and uh, they have an incredible new paper uh, with about fire. Can you tell me about that? Yeah, well, they're saying that evidence exists that it's possible the human arrival here in Southern California and, and North America and the introduction of fires most likely caused by humans being here denuded the landscape and caused the extinction of the megafauna. And other scientists have said there is no direct link. You can't say A plus B equals C. However, the Massive fires, the changing of the environment, and the arrival of humans here. They they literally have the smoking gun, but it is Ooh, the yeah. combination of all those things, right? But yeah. it's it's humans and fire simultaneously. It's kind of like what happened in Maui earlier this, this summer here. Yeah, because they say that Maui's fire, well, besides having the perfect storm of the winds from a hurricane, but there were non-native plants that burn hotter and, and faster. So it's really interesting. It's uh, it, it's always been that debate as to whether or not uh, it was the humans that just killed everything. You know, it was the um, megafauna overkill theory versus the paleo climate shift people. So they've been arguing, did the people do it or was it the weather? But here we have fire being introduced, and fire really is this huge... Well, it's a human plastic. tool. It's a tool that, that we've yeah. introduced uh, on, on a massive scale. And it just seems that wherever humans go, we kind of leave a wake of destruction and garbage, don't you think? 
kind of makes sense. It's kind of obvious. We are kind of messy little creatures, aren't we, that change everything? Yes. So we'll have a link to that news article and their paper. Yeah, Emily Lindsay and Regan Dunn, previous guests here on uh, Paleo Nerds, a big paper that came out. It was uh, the cover of Science Magazine. So big shout out, kudos to them, man. Yeah. And speaking of early man, which I, I I don't like calling us early man. That's what the Time Life book said. Early man. Early because man. that leaves out the other half of our species. The latecomers. No. Women. <laughs> oh, oh. I think they were oh. first, Ray. I think you have to have women in order to have men. If, oh, I, I, oh. if I've got to remember my biology. That's how it works. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, early humans, early hominins. Correct. And define hominin. It's uh, any human-like part of our lineage, even going back to primates. A primate that has any human-like form or adaptation can be called a hominin. Hominin. So we're talking all the way back to 3 million years plus. So our guest today has been going into caves all over Europe and around the world too, I guess. Yeah. And uh, was looking at the cave art and came up with some incredible findings. I'm so excited to, to talk to Genevieve von Petzinger, who is our guest today. And uh, I heard about her talk on uh, TED, uh, the, she did a TED talk. Was this while you were researching our last guest, John Gertie, who... Went from dinosaur artistry to hominins. Well, because this is, yeah. uh, these two episodes are very similar in the subject matter. I think it just piqued my interest once again. And I remembered that I had reached out to uh, Genevieve uh, years ago. Actually, we've been at this for a few years because I'd come across her TED Talk and this interesting idea, kind of proto-writing these 32 repeating symbols that are found in all these caves for about, you know, a 30,000 year period. I'm giving away all the thunder. Yeah, yeah. But we'll get into it with her. I'm so excited. Let's give her a call right now. Hey, Dave, meet Genevieve von Petzinger. She is a paleoanthropologist, a speaker, an author, and an explorer. Hey, Genevieve, good good to meet you here. Yeah. Hello, so greetings from Canada and the Pacific Northwest specifically. Oh, fantastic. Well, I'm in Ojai, California. And ben, I'm up in the Pacific Northwest too, but a little farther north. I'm up in Ketchikan. But, uh... but very important, Genevieve, are you a paleo nerd? Oh, hugely. I mean, yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> I sometimes hashtag paleo nerd on like my posts. So yes, I'm, I'm an OG paleo nerd for sure. Okay. OG? OG, like, like original. Oh, oh. And, and what was the beginning? How did you know and when did it start? Yeah. Well, I mean, what I think is so fun about your podcast actually is that you look at not just paleoanthropology, but paleontology. So, of course, you're looking at everything geologically aged backwards, right, from that kind of like end of the Paleolithic and then Cordonary, all that kind of stuff, whatever geological terms you want to use. Um, So, for me, it's very appropriate because dinosaurs was my gateway drug. 
Okay. All right. Oh. Well then, yeah, we. All right. I, I figured it was. So that was your first. <laughs> this is in Canada yeah. somewhere. You, you're. Uh, Drum Heller. Yeah. There's those amazing. Oh, wow. places, right. And my parents wow. were adorable. They were so supportive of me. I was like that precocious slash annoying eight year old who could like spell and pronounce all of the fancy Latin names of all the that dinosaurs. Oh, there wow. we see. Kendra's oh, but family. yeah, but Drum Heller. That's where the Ty the Royal Tyrell is. Oh, that's yes. in one. Alberta, yeah, Alberta. yeah near, near the it's above the Dakotas um and my parents so sweetly my poor my poor sister they dragged us there for the summer vacation so I could go because they had a program where you could go excavate oh and God. so I love my sister but she's not really into that stuff but she so her <laughs> summer was hanging out with the dinosaurs with me while yeah. I was losing my mind we found bones it was like I was hooked wow. on like wow. the concept of finding and, things at that and, point you know my gateway drug was megafauna, the La Brea tar pits. Oh, yes. that makes sense. So there you go. Yeah, yes. So, it's yeah. funny, those moments, hey, where something makes you go, well, this is interesting. And then, yeah, who, who knew that it'll end up directing your here life? Here we are. <laughs> yeah. Well, so. we are kind of a subset of humanity that really uh, gets into that stuff. But from there... Yeah. Uh you you got to dig up the stuff and you you when did you decide this was your career? How did that kind of what's the quick story there? Well, basically, so as I hit teenagerhood and then beyond, I I realized I liked humans more than the dinosaurs. All love to the dinosaurs and the megafauna. <laughs> but that I was like, these humans are very interesting. Um so when I went to university, I was leaning towards archaeology, but I didn't know what I wanted to do exactly yet. And so as an undergrad, I actually went, my first excavation was at a Roman site oh, in yeah. the Middle East. Yeah. And yeah. Um, it, I mean, I had the time of my life. It was in Jordan. I learned to swear in Arabic. Wow. I ate fun food. <laughs> um, I wow. mean, the, the Bedouin were amazing. Um, and, and I learned a ton, but I also learned some interesting things. It wasn't old enough. I was like, this is oh, much to float too your organized. Boat. It wasn't old yeah. enough to float your boat, right? Yes. And I was like, this is much too organized. And this is much <laughs> too... Like I was, and that was, the, I think, the moment I realized I was very interested in the beginnings of things. I wanted to know oh. how it started. And so this was where I was like, that's nice. We're here with civilization, but how did it begin? Um, and then the other thing I learned, so again, super important moment in my life. The other big learning was I was a terrible excavator. I was losing my wow. mind with, with the fine, but they let me go survey one day. And I, so surveying is when you literally are let loose on a landscape you wander, and yeah. you go look for new sites. And I fell madly in love. I was like this. Did you this find archaeology? Um, we we were looking for, I mean, over there, it's ridiculous. Like you're literally crunching across pottery in some places it's right. this is like the old nabataean petra the amazing carved cities right there oh right and um like there this is the old frankincense trade route so yeah we found pottery found like there was some stone tools the ultimate treasure hunt that i was like oh. this you could do this for a yeah. job like it was kind of that <laughs> moment right well I, i'm sort of the, i'm the same way if i'm at a dig site you know i i can only i only have so much patience for sitting there and dusting away into it yeah. I start looking at the landscape around me and it's really that joy of exploration, Yes, you know? Yeah. So I get up and I start wandering and then when you, and it's that joy of discovery, when you yeah. spot something like, oh, wow, there it is. It's just a lifelong thing. So oh, yeah. the best, the best. Yeah. And I mean, again, all the love to our colleagues who, who have that mind 
that precision that I mean we need those people these these are these are the other these are the yin to our yang right which is that um I've got amazing colleagues and that's probably one of the biggest things as I move into being in my 40s and start working on bigger projects is it's all about having an amazing complementary team to work with where we all bring our skills to the table. Like I have one colleague who shows up at a site with like all the pre-labeled baggies and he's got all of his like stratigraphy, oh, wow. like layer paper, like he's got everything. And I'm, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm like, I will sim for you. So that's when you shake the sim back and forth. Like, yeah. but, you know, but I'm like, I will help for sure. But then, you know, my eyes are wandering just like Ray said, I'm like ready to go. I'm like, I'm like looking over there. And then you wandered into caves. I did. Yes. That's so, the shift. How yeah, did that happen? That was amazing. That was, again, serendipity, right? Came back from my Roman dig with a sense of, okay, this isn't old enough, but I love archaeology. And you can do archaeology without just having to dig, which I think is important for people to know. Like, there's actually lots of variations of what is an archaeologist. I have lab friends. I have right. friends who do all sorts of stuff. And then I happened to take a course on Paleolithic art. Yeah. So art from the Stone Age. Um and it blew my mind. And I was like, well, there's the beginnings I was looking for. And um, specifically, it was those little squiggly marks everywhere that really caught my attention. And I was like, what is going on with these? Like, I feel like I keep seeing the same ones at different sites. And I really couldn't find much on like sort of large scale patterning or when did it start? You know, where, who was doing what? Like, there was a lot more focus on either the individual sites or the animals, of course, the, the shiny ponies, the majestic mammoth. They got all the attention, right? Yeah, all these these beautiful big paintings, you know. Yeah. And actually, just well, to tick off some of the few, what are they? They're well, Altabura. you're talking about uh, uh, Vlasco and Chavo caves are the most yeah. famous ones in there yeah. in France, correct? Yes. So both, um, yes. So Lasco and I'm totally not correcting you, but I will do the French. But it's Chauvet. Okay, Chauvet. <laughs> And they're the ones with the beautiful yeah. art, the Da Vinci-like bison yes. and horses. Yep. And Rhinos. Um, yeah, and also Altamira in Spain is very famous as well. That's the one with the bulls on the ceiling. So oh, right, basically, right. the the big, speaking of megafauna for, for Dave's sake here, um, is perfect. Um, okay, we've got the big animals are bison, horse, mammoth, um, auroch. So that's the extinct bull species. And um, I've seen some interesting stuff, though, recently. And, of course, rhinos, woolly rhinos. I love that. I adore the idea of woolly rhinos wandering around in Europe, too. Cave bears, you know, cave lions. Which So cave bears are like a slightly bigger grizzly. Aren't there cave bear skulls in... Uh, yes, Chauvet. Chauvet, yeah. Chauvet, yeah. yeah, yeah but Chauvet. they're also covered in calcite. Yeah. So they're almost look like they're in a, uh, a, a layer of, of frosting which yeah, which helps beautiful. in identifying the age of the uh well the skull and also age yeah. of the of the pigment because of the calcite buildup yes absolutely so and in these cases too it's good you mentioned the cave bear skulls they were placed there so that also oh. is very intriguing oh. some of them were placed somewhere on purpose right. so that you know these are I think who was I talking to one of my colleagues the other day about this, which is that, again, you know, Egyptologists have pyramids, Romans have Latin texts, like you got all these things with us. We're like, it's like we're trying to rebuild entire worlds from tiny clues. Right. Like, whoa, they, they put a cave bear skull somewhere on purpose. Well, 
what can we learn from that? Like the concept of, okay, well, if they're positioning it here in this cave space, they're doing paintings, they're doing other things which are like non-utilitarian, so not needed for survival. Could there be some spirituals? Could there be some ritual aspect? What What's going on? So yeah, the, the position of cave burial skulls is an interesting one because it's found at a few sites. Well, I was going to say, one, your, your big breakthrough, where you're kind of alluding to it there, is this, there's all this incredible art. Yeah. Uh, that's just overwhelming, beautiful. We all, we paleo nerds know about that, but yeah. it seems that the art was getting all the love and the attention and there were a system, there was this sequence of geometric signs that you began yeah. to notice because you're wandering and yeah. you're going deeper and deeper into caves, but actually sometimes right there in those beautiful, there were these marks yeah. and you began to see a system and you, you, You've actually said you're ADHD. Did, yeah. did this one before we we started yeah, this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you think that you were maybe beginning to maybe because of the way you're wired that maybe you began to see things that others were missing? But there was there was a the sequence of the thirty two symbols. And yes. This is what... I mean, I like to think that you know I'm able to bring some things to the table. Right. Um, also, yeah. I don't know. Um, I've mentioned it a few times, but my granny worked with Alan Turing at Bletchley on the Enigma code. Really? Yeah, isn't that amazing? So wow. she was a, she was one of the code oh. one of the code crackers. Um so I kind of come by it honestly. <laughs> my <laughs> my interest in patterns, like I see patterns wow. very easily. Wow. That's yeah. Cool. Isn't that fun? Oh. Yeah. yeah. Well, it reminds me of a beautiful mind. Right? The movie, so, yeah. So, so um, these symbols, yeah. all these symbols, what yeah. are they and where do you find them and how did you come up with the idea that they're all related not only throughout locations, but over time. Okay. So first of all, I think it's really important. I want to make sure I acknowledge the fact that I'm 100% standing on the shoulders of giants yeah. in this field who have very much done a lot of that groundwork, um, which then allowed somebody like me who likes macro scale patterns to be able to walk in and start connecting dots. Pardon my really bad pun. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> There'll be many of those. Yeah. Well, my career is built on those. So, all right. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, you're in on that. Um, so what it was, was that people, like I said, they, they'd done, there's fantastic, like, archaeological reports for individual sites. There was even some folks that looked at things in regions, but nobody had sort of taken that big step back and said, what is being used where? how long does it keep getting used do we find it in different sites like are we finding the same ones or is it that each cave is kind of a random mashup of whatever the local artist felt like doing and so that was the first piece that was my first piece of graduate work that was my master's i started with france and but for those who are listening yeah. describe some of the symbols oh, sure. what, what yeah, are you talking course. about here yeah so these are um yeah so we've got three categories of art um currently we'll, we'll put a pin in that one um for paleolithic art it's generally even traditionally divided into lots of animals a few human images which are painting which are paintings paintings and engravings both there's the paintings there's engravings are called paintings are pictographs engravings are called petroglyphs petroglyphs yeah yeah so these are all inside well there's some outside but the majority is inside the caves which is why they've been preserved for like 10 20 30 40,000 years um and so they're in these controlled contained little time capsules and they're often in and around the animals and geometric signs are everything from dots, lines, triangles, zigzags, spirals. So there's, you know, there's handprints, which 
are somewhat symbolic potentially, but you know, not completely without form, but they seem to potentially be communicative, which is kind of why I, I threw the net wide with them. Um, there's also more complex forms like rectangles with specific things inside. So huh. lots of geometric marks, basically using different yeah. different versions of them. They show up for thousands of years, right? It's like almost a 30,000 year period. I, I remember reading that somewhere. Is that correct? Depends. That's what makes it so interesting is every single one of those signs has its own pattern. And so for this was what I, I was trying to figure out because at first I literally had to build, I built a database and um, I input all of the caves, first the ones from France. Then when I started finding intriguing things, I, I pulled out and did the whole of Europe for my PhD. I was looking at say from 40,000 years ago to 10,000 years ago. And probably the, the biggest takeaways that came out of that first kind of like chunk of my research was this is not a beginning this is very much feels like a continuation right from the start like they're already doing something they know how to do we're not seeing this isn't the practice stage the practice stage you mean at 40,000 years at 40,000 years ago they're already using them in a very comfortable way it doesn't feel like they're just right. starting out so wow. that was fascinating because yeah, but, but the first the earliest known engraving is a zigzag pattern on a shell from 540,000 years ago that's the shell from java am i correct yes As the correct first known in uh intention yeah but keep in mind this that was within the last 10 years so i did my first piece of research oh, closer okay. to more like not quite oh, sorry, 15 years sorry, ago no yeah. no that's okay but yeah. that's what i mean is it's been amazing all this new research has only been reinforcing what I thought I saw, which is fantastic. Right, right. Um, but yeah, so at that point, the big one of the big things for me was that, yeah, I guess we should kind of start with that, which is that back in my day, which was like literally only 15 years ago at this point, uh -huh. um, but long enough ago that they were only just starting to push the date back beyond 35,000. Oh, there right. was still a huge argument about whether art started in Europe or not. I walked in my undergrad, they were still having that debate. Like right. the very first big article to challenge that came out in the year 2000. And that was the article that said, hey, you guys, like there's marks on portable pieces in Africa. We maybe need, you know, maybe there's no wall art, but there are marks. Maybe we need to have a conversation about this. But it was still hotly debated. So keep that in mind. This was more, this was where we were. And isn't it incredible sure. how much it's changed in like 15 wow. years? But today, what is the timeline from yeah. 540,000 years ago to 40,000 years? What what has been found and where are they from? Are they just etchings and hatch marks? and? It's it's so fun um, because there's huge blanks and we I would say let's put a pin in that and we'll come back to it because this is okay. what I'm starting to do now is looking at how do we fill in blanks on maps that is like literally where I am now but at that point it was more like 35,000 art was invented in Europe um, so when I found that I was like this is a big thing like that no it's I'm not seeing the start of this this doesn't look like they've invented it it looks right. like they're just continuing to use a tradition that already exists. Um, and then the other big thing was to see that um, lines and dots for sure get used from the beginning to the end. But many of the other ones, you actually see they have popular moments, there's trends, then things fall out of favor. Like it, it's actually fascinating to see. And so for my dissertation, one of the signs I really was intrigued by was the pediform sign, which looks kind of like a feather um, because it's one that appears in so many instances with, um, oh, right. yeah, with, with animals. 
And and so the question I wanted to know was, well, could it be some form of weapon or some sort of hunting thing? Because it would make sense, right? And But keep in mind, at this point, the geometric signs were more being treated as these weird abstract marks and we don't know what to do with them like there was there was some wonderful quotes i included in like my master's thesis and stuff where they were like they're what was it floating in like an abstract soup and we don't know what to do it was a lovely french quote um so so this was where <laughs> you know that. isn't that fun i know i like that too but you know so i think that was the point where people started to say to me well is this writing? Because that was the first time my research got attention was I presented my findings at a conference in I think 2009 in Chicago. And then new scientists saw it, asked me if they wanted, they, they were like, hey, it might be fun to do and what's new on this. We got into talking, they got really excited. Then the art team at New Scientist was like, well, this would make a really great cover. And I ended up as the cover story of New Scientist as like wow. a freshly minted master's student. It was a lot. So that was a really exciting moment. And that was also when I started getting peppered with, is this writing? Because, of course, it almost looks, you know, like people's minds are seeing that sort of thing. Right, and right. and so but define it was a, writing. You mean yes. a symbol that right? represents an action yeah. or a word or a thing or a place, a noun yeah. or a verb? Yeah. Well, I think that's where people thought, is it an alphabet? Is it like like there were there's a lot of like, you know, is this writing? And so my answer at that point was no, but I don't have the words to explain to you what it is yet. <laughs> and so that was literally one huge piece of my dissertation research was I trotted off to linguistics. And I oh. learned about the origins of proto-writing so that I could then bring that back. Because I was like, I, there's words over here I need to go learn because I don't have well, the it's cuneiform, knowledge right now. Cuneiform accepted as the first coherent writing? Okay, so here it's okay. So here's where we're going with this. Okay, so there is a writing system. Now, a writing system, anything you can speak, you can write. Okay, right. so that means there's all of the words. There's all of them there. You you know you can deal with concepts like happy. Like how do you portray happy on a wall? Obviously, we use emojis now, but how do you get across these weird like abstract concepts? Right. right. Like like right. like or or words like you know um how would, how would i describe it like there's so many sort of strange words that you're like how would we even depict that on a wall sure. right so so that writing as a system has the full lexicon of the entire spoken language is reproducible in a visual physical form on top of that there are rules there is structure there's grammar and there are people whose full-time jobs are to maintain the system right and these and sadly are you ready for this in most cases writing appears alongside economic transactions so so sadly it's yeah. usually business it's about beer and grain you yeah. you owe me you owe me yes isn't that yeah. sad I, yeah i know yeah, i'm like oh so this, disappointing you need that <laughs> so well, um it so also wait, wait hold on hold yeah, on a okay. second a beautiful bison in a yeah. lasco cave is not sadly about beer it's about art and beauty so this is the question though is how do we describe that knowing that somebody wasn't like this wasn't it's not very efficient to use full art like you can't write 
instructions like like do you know what i mean oh, so this is where but as i was telling ray yeah. i think the, the beautiful art in those caves are a once in a lifetime leonardo type person who was a brilliant artist who had the ochre had the time had someone holding some sort of candle so they could see yeah. and that's a one-off yeah yeah i mean but the art overall it's amazing i've to realize i've now i've worked it's such a privilege i've worked in over a hundred cave art sites isn't that wild right. Yeah. On, yeah. So, I mean, it's like, I've been in a lot of caves and I'm always surprised by how good it is. Um, but just to finish my writing thought here. So when you've got full writing, you've got like dictionaries, you've got like, you know, you've basically got people like scribes. That's our full-time job. That's what they do. You're pretty much always looking at some sort of sedentary agricultural society with a hierarchy and there are rules that need to be enforced across larger groups of people right. to make sure everybody's on the same page basically that's where you find all of the earliest writing systems in the world are in those circumstances it's fascinating so what you see before that is what you call proto writing and proto writing is when they're only writing down important so they have symbols for important words often in a narrower sense like they may not have a bunch of words to do with um you know like they may not have like physical symbols for like street cart um you know like corner door on a house like it depends like they'll, so they'll hieroglyphs have... like the five thousand year old hieroglyphs yeah. do they fall into that proto writing no, they're a full writing system because oh, okay. they can, you can say anything with them as well. Same yeah. with um, early Chinese writing is another one. Um, Mayan writing is another. Those are full writing oh. systems. But you'll notice they're all larger scale societies. They all have some sort of trade, business, rules, taxes, like their stuff you need to keep track slaves. of, right? Slaves, yeah. <laughs> so whereas, you know, so this was for me was really powerful to understand, though, that I was like, well, because, you know, I think the idea of are we developing towards something or is it more that certain tools are used in certain circumstances when it makes sense? It would make no sense for a hunter-gatherer group, which is like usually 20 to 40 people. You don't need full-time scribes. You don't need some right, big complicated right, yeah. rule book that they're like, here we go. Let me explain to you what it means to be a member of this hunter-gatherer group, you know? So like there's not that requirement, but what they did need was the ability to communicate important ideas. And this is where I think having run off there and then come you mean back like the to aboriginals the water holes yes, and exactly. song lines yeah. and all that yeah yeah do you think it was kind of a generational thing so to teach the young um you know the next generation or you know people in your group was it kind of an educational because i, I, I remember there was a, there was a, yeah. a paper of a couple years ago and, and i've been following your stuff on facebook too that there was a fellow in in uh britain i think that began to uh, look at the dots that were associated with uh, like the bison and uh oh this is the question of are, are they, they yeah are they tracking the birth tracking cycles the birth, of some of the animals symbol, you know, yeah okay plan. so i think it's a really cool idea um i I've, I've spoken with him it was actually based on one of my chapters in my book which was really yeah. fun because i i'd sort of said like i think that's the kind of thing we need to look for if we want to understand what they're doing where i think that Again, maybe it's just my own experience because I've, I've been doing this for a while, but I really don't think there's going to be one explanation 
right. that will cover 30,000 years of history and all of these different culture groups. I think instead it's very important to recognize that we can continue to use the same symbols, but maybe the meaning can change over time. Think about the word sick, for instance, which only used to mean unwell. And then for a while there, I don't know what the cool kids are saying these days, but for a while there, yeah. it was like sick meant good, right? Yeah, so, right. so, but the same, still the same S-I-C-K. And so you can imagine for a philologist of the future, which is a person who studies dead languages, if they were like, what, why are they using sick in this context? This would make no sense, right? Because unless you right. understand that the actual meaning has shifted, the form has stayed the same. And that's quite common with writing is that form is much more conservative meaning is much more fleeting so always want to be super careful with that um, there's, there's or, the title of the podcast right these 32 repeating signs for thirty thousand yeah. years with so, roughly yeah, 65 percent being the well, same no 65 percent of the so lines are at 65% of sites. Like, I think it's more that there's certain dots are quite right. common too. You find those across a lot. So yeah. when do they, when do they appear these 32 repeating signs? Uh, have, this is not their first rodeo that they've been doing no. this for well, a while. This is what's so fun though, is that some are already in use at the beginning. So 40,000 years ago, some are already being used at multiple sites. Other signs are later inventions. So not all of them exist at 40,000 years ago. And this is what I was saying with the penniform. So that's the one that the feather sign that looks a bit like it could be like the shaft of an arrow or like part of a spear is that that sign's invented for the first time around 28,000 years ago in oh. France. Oh. And interestingly, this is what my sort of my PhD was looking at. So again, trying to understand what, you know, could the signs actually be some of the real world objects that we just haven't properly recognized because when you go back and look at proto writing all of the earliest systems in the world are iconic images which means sort of stylized versions of things from the real world or counting give me marks. an example and for, from that is it from how so okay so for instance in cuneiform i'll give you like a beautiful example so before cuneiform was all little sticks and dots it was pictographic like a, in clay a, Yes, it's amazing. And so this is before you could say everything. So this is before they were writing about Gilgamesh or writing beer receipts or any of those things. This is back when they were only marking down important words, um, still often transactional. It's but, Mesopotamian um, when we are agricultural. Correct. Yeah. So Fertile Crescent, Middle East. Um, but the one particular one, which is a really fun example, I like using it just because it's so neat, is that the head of an ox represented an ox so it's a one-to-one -one relationship right looks like an ox the word would have been their word for ox and that's what it, you know you see it on a tablet or something oh okay ox right now an ox was basically i'm making i'm putting my little fingers up in the peace sign and sticking a sticking my finger across it horizontally right. so creating an upside, upside down, down a looks like an upside down a well my friend you know what the word for ox is originally is aleph ah and then it got twisted on its side as cuneiform got really stylized. And then it, and then it right flipped over, up. became <laughs> alpha, and then it became an A. And it lost. Wow. There's no ox left. The ox Dave, is gone. Dave and that's the secret. That. Yeah, see? Makes so wow. much sense. Go check it out afterwards. You can Google it. You can see. It's amazing. And that's the secret to... Wait. To these symbols. Ray's holding up a spiral. Oh. Is that an O? Well, or I, I, no, I, I'm just 
I have a ammonite. Ammonite. I love spirals. I've been obsessed yeah. with spirals, and I've seen some uh, uh, petroglyphs here in Southeast Alaska. Stone. Yeah. They look. They're thousands of years old. They're big spirals. That's one of the thirty-two symbols. I'm just yes. curious. When did the spiral rage? Oh, that's that's a fascinating one. That's a, that's a whole other thing. Um, oldest spiral in Western Europe, twenty-two thousand. Isn't that fascinating? Now, in okay, but wait, Eastern wait, Europe, but, yeah. Okay, okay. I, I just want to get back to these symbols, which is yeah, yeah. before yeah. proto writing. Yes, so you correct. have a squiggly yeah. line, you have that leaf thing, you have all these different, very simple signs or shapes. Yeah, yeah. So are they in a row? I, I mean, I have not, yeah. I have not seen yet any photos of them. Or oh, or I can send papers. you some, so so your your listeners can check it out for sure. But yeah, um, are they in a row? Is it just one symbol per cave? Is it 20 symbols? Or, yeah, uh, how does so that work? How are they arranged? And how do you very, find very, them? Very, very variable, um, especially early on. And I think this is where, again, across 30,000 years, that's like Rome times 15 from us, right? Like that is yeah. so deep history. Like we, yeah. we, we, we would need to expect a lot of change. Now, the big thing for me that was looking at proto writing, what I was understanding was you're not going to get fully symbolic symbols being used in this mix and match alphabet style way right that far back that we're definitely looking at an earlier stage of this broader thing that i would call graphic communication and that's usually the word i used to describe it either visual communication graphic communication so 100 these signs are meaningful there's no doubt and that was something i'd already figured out by looking at the way they were being used which Not is random. that no. they're they're making choices as to what to put into which cave they're making choices what to exclude which is always really interesting as well and then like i said really interesting trends like for instance negative like hands you find those from the very beginning in europe they fall out of favor and i mean honestly i would even debate whether it's that late but the latest hand is like twenty thousand years ago gone so they stopped they making them isn't the that fascinating yeah yeah, well. yeah so i think that's really where when i was looking at it though i was like okay so maybe some of them are abstract and symbolic but frankly probably more based on what i'm seeing across hieroglyphics chinese writing you know cuneiform mayan all of it the first stage are these iconic stylized real world things and so this was where again the idea of could a peniform actually be some form of hunting weaponry right could a um triangle in certain contexts maybe it represents a mountain or maybe a squiggly line in a certain spot could represent a river or other real world things. It would make sense. Could a spiral be water? I mean, absolutely. It certainly could be. I mean, it could also be something from an altered state of consciousness. Um, yeah. I still need to understand. You okay, walk sorry. in a cave. Yeah. Yeah. Are there, is there one symbol per cave? Are there a hundred symbols per cave? Are they on the walls, ceilings? Are they in the same order from cave here, cave A to cave B? that far back they're not in linear rows and so this is again we're not looking at writing we're not there's there's no sonnets being written on walls here right um this is more like here there's a cloud of dots so there's like a group of dots here right. over there there's three lines here there's like a zigzag by itself Got beside it. a bison it. it's it's much more like that so it's very sporadic and this is where again it feels like something's developing something's ramping up 
But it would make sense, again, if we're dealing with these small groups of people who are mobile on the landscape, thinking about, for instance, I think one of you mentioned earlier, the first people in Australia, they send really complex messages on their talking sticks between each other, True. but they're not full sentences again. It's more like yeah. these are important pieces of information you need to know. Again, often relating to real world, you know, sort of in the landscape their footprints of animals like their water holes like so very practical information because everybody else you can just talk to them like they're there like you're you're 30 to 40 people you hang out with like are right there you don't need to write them letters like they're right, beside right. you um but what might be helpful and this is some of the stuff we start to see later and it could speak to different cultures coming in because now we have the genetics which adds a whole other layer of understanding which is that waves of cultures were moving into Europe. Like it's not just the same people living there for 30,000 years. Like it's new groups come in and replace or they interbreed and join. So later on, we see these more complex rectangular square-like shapes like the tectiforms, which it's been proposed they could be some form of clan sign, some sort of tribal mark, which starts to make sense, right? Yeah, yeah. I just, it just occurred to me, maybe they could be a corral. You're building a structure to keep animals See, I've, that's actually something one of my colleagues and I have been talking about lately, is that some of those marks, if you were looking, especially because some of the caves are up on the sides of mountains, looking down into the valleys, what, you also have to think about perspective. Like, are we seeing a bird's eye view of something from the real world? But because it's stylized enough, or and again, most of us don't hang around building corrals out in the valley. So it, it's not contextually something we would necessarily be like, oh, we know exactly what that is. Like you almost have to see it on the landscape or right. have an archaeological site where you're like, oh, maybe this is a thing. So I think that's really where um, to sort of think about where we're at with the signs now is that I've got a good handle on what is where there's definitely a sense that we're not talking about you know instruction booklets or anything like that could there be some knowledge about animal tracks absolutely um there's definitely some spots where i've seen some really neat ones where the animals here and then there's these neat little sets of line like dots that look that have been almost pulled down so they look like the tracks left by little ibex like like goat oh, mountain right. goats oh, right. yeah oh, like they literally look exactly like it so could they be counting herds yeah, they could be counting animals, like who knows what they're doing. But this is, again, that idea of counting marks, I think, is also a really important right. one, too, because but it's more like over time. And again, 30,000 years of history here. And in certain places, we start to see rows of lines more. We start to see dots being used in ways that almost have like a This is Italian all before quality. the incredible Lascaux bisons. This is... Some of this is at the same time. So again, oh. this is where by then you're starting to see a bit more linearity, I would say. Like you're starting to see rows of things a little bit more. You can actually see a few of them in some of those Lascaux. Because right. Lascaux is right. around 2022,000. 20, so right. again, the, it's been wondered that as people are forced together, because Lascaux is a really neat site. It gives us insight into what it was like to live during the last glacial maximum. So when the ice sheets had pushed down to their maximum extent, all the humans who'd been living in these little groups all over the place are forced down into what are called these refuge areas. And the Lézizy Dordogne area around Lascaux is one of the refuge areas. And they're having to live in much higher density than they ever had to before. Mm. And it's been wondered 
if some of the art comes out of this new way of living and, and having to be near each other, but also idea sharing, um, but maybe things like tribal marks become more important right. when your neighbors are suddenly like, like all yeah, these things yeah. that maybe weren't that critical before have a new purpose. Or again, you get the smartest artists together in a tight area. Maybe they're going to create these new amazing things because they're learning from each other, right? Because we do, we're wonderful at sharing. I think 10 years ago, I read a book called Cave Paintings and the Human Spirit by uh, David Whitley. Yeah. And he suggested that all this art was created by shamans, not your average uh, guy. Mm -hmm. And that the shamans were given, uh, well, they're crazy, but, but they were uh, <laughs> on the spectrum. But they yeah. were, most shamans seem to be on some sort of spectrum, I guess, throughout uh, our Paleolithic history. I think that's a general idea. But mm -hmm. because they were in touch with a different uh, modality of living. Yeah. Different and, realm. And, that, and he suggested that the shamans were the ones allowed in the cave. They're the ones that could uh, battle the spirits in the caves that were known to be there. And they're the ones that made all this art. Do you, do you think, I mean... Obviously, the, uh, nothing is is exact, but do you think yeah. this is a possibility that uh, a lot of this, these these this art and engravings and and were were made yeah. by the shamans of, so, of the so tribes? So David Whitley is the work he's doing. I mean, again, I I think he does really neat work. He also works in North America, looking at like Coso art from California Which, and things like that way, too. Which, by the way, I go there all the time, and I've Amazing. just found pectroglyphs. Yeah, but, but there's anyway, amazing I've stuff seen, in California. Yeah, I've seen yeah. some amazing yeah. Native American art. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, I think so he is part of a group. There's also a fellow from South Africa, um, David Lewis Williams, who wrote The Mind in the Cave, which is sort of that same along the same lines. I think they've um, and what they were sort of proposing was that at least some of the signs were the results of altered states of consciousness. So whether you're using some sort of hallucinogenics to get there or, I mean, again, repetitive drumming, dancing, things like that can do it too. Or again, you are literally in a sensory deprivation chamber called a cave. Like, yeah. you know, there's lots of ways it could happen. But that there's... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But the, the eyes are, from a physical, biological point of view, our eyes produce certain shapes that flash in our vision when the eyes have higher pressure in them, spirals being one of them. Um, and yeah. so the, the, oh. the idea was, was that they were seeing things like these tic-tac-toe grids and zigzags and spirals and then they were putting them on the walls um so first of all i think it's a really interesting idea i'm gonna go back to my my, my grouchy stance which i don't think one thing can explain thirty thousand years of, of art across multiple continents so i think honestly in the long run i suspect as we dig into this and again haha bad pun uh but for the archaeologists but, yeah right but as we get into this I think 
what we're going to find, and this is for me was the big argument I've been making now about my geometric signs is I made these categories, but we have to break it apart because we don't know if they're all connected to each other. We're just, this is again, the modern mind deciding they look geometric like, therefore we've all been dutifully stuffing them into this category for the last hundred years. I, I, I wanted to just, there's another interpretation too. I once uh, spent some time with Dale Guthrie. Yep. At University of Alaska Fairbanks, who wrote this yep. book, The Nature of Paleolithic Art. Yes. And to just summarize it, he's, he, there's a lot of broad interpretations you can do, you know, you make with these or different ideas, and it's hard to prove any of them. But basically, he was saying, think of it as uh, teenage boys in uh, um, squirreled away <laughs> in caves and drawing pictures of girls, and there's a lot of erotic images. And uh, it's sort of a, a natural state for like 12 year olds to, be away from uh, the adults and emulating the adults, you know, so they're drawing pictures, basically like a kid. I went through this phase, sort of a, yeah. I didn't know, a fort building. We're away from, you know, everyone. Yeah. We have kind of this secret group and and we're emulating the, you know, the and adults. you said there's tons but, of phallic symbols that, that are not being, uh, he's got, I didn't even this, know that. I I was I had when I had lunch with him all those years ago. I said, you know, Dale, there's, it's remarkable that there's very few human figures in a lot of these paintings. You know, and he said, no, no, no. On the other hand, there really are a lot, and many of them are erotic. They are, you know, uh, uh, phalluses and vulvas, and uh, he he the book is full of them. But I, anything is that wanna... true? Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. my gosh, I'm laughing. Oh, I guess I, yeah, I know. So, you know heard I, this I have his book in my bookshelf. Um, I half love his book and half roll yeah. my eyes at it. All love yeah. to him. Um, he talks about the hunting stuff in there too, and I think he yes. is spot on with that. And he is a biologist, I believe, by training. Yes, and, and and I think he's fantastic when it comes to where I'm going with the fact that I think some of the imagery probably is related to hunting and, and it would make complete sense because hunting is so central to their survival that would fit that check mark of what are important symbols they might care about right so makes sense oh my gosh the female stuff so this where yeah. this is yeah. where you know the problem is is that and again in some cases sure I, I've seen things that very well could be vulva or that could be phallic symbols like we have those. But what concerns me is if you've got a triangle loose by itself on a wall, how do you know that's what it is? Like, like, I well, think yeah, this triangle, is, but if it's, it's just a triangle and that's yeah, where most Ray, of them are like that the picture. We'll do a screenshot. Hold up the picture, yeah. which are definitively male oh, and female the, there's genitalia. The, there's the ladies, well, the, like yeah, the Venus. Yeah, yeah. No, there's the Venus figures, and they often have quite elaborate, like, sexual characteristics. I don't know whether this is a PG, if this is a PG thirteen or something. That's pottery, though. I mean, that's that's clay, though, right? Um, nope, they're also on the walls. Oh. They're from a very specific period called the Gravedian period. And what we have to ask, though, is, is it meant to be erotic? Or I've seen other interpretations of them as being old women. Right. Um, if you look at their faces and the way the breasts are hanging down, that these could be the epitome of, like, the mother goddess, but in her wise state. How do we know it's erotic? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, again, this is all about, there's this term called presentism, which is the danger of looking at archaeology through our modern lens, oh, right? But... So the problem is we're in the 21st century. We have Playboy. We have pornography. We see female breasts as being erotic, whereas there's other cultures that see them as baby feeders. Like, we have to be so careful 
not to put our own bias of the moment and culture when we live on these other groups of people when we have no idea what they right. thought about right. human bodies, right? Like, we don't know if they thought about the same way. Like, that's the thing. Contextually speaking, I mean, there's places where men you know teenage boys think women's thighs are the hot thing right like you, you have to you, you have to know your culture and this is where the anthropology comes in too right and i think that's where dale got a little caught up in it is that rather than understanding there's also another thing that's been put out there which is that pregnant women look quite like that sometimes too so oh, how do we right. know it's not fertility to do with birth sure. and with like so how do we know it's a like trying to find something erotic across that much time and space is very dangerous right. would be what i would say and i think this is where it, it, it's all about whether it's shamanism whether it's basically paleo pornography we sort of jokingly call it sometimes whether it's anything i think the big thing to think about is that across time and space things probably change meaning um if we use something really simple like dots which are one of my favorites i love dots because on a basic level they could be counting in some respects there's some places where they're lined up they could be counting there's other places where they appear on the sides of animals and they're red and the animal says a black painting it looks like a wound so oh, it looks right. like they've been wounded there's other places where dots are being used at splits in passages and caves as so there's some sort of path marker, marker wow. right there's other places where they're appearing in ways that have made me wonder if they could be some sort of constellation uh, yeah wondrous right yeah so especially in last go actually there's some neat stuff there so i think we have to be so careful about saying oh well, if, if right if we see a triangle like because that's the thing sure there are some very vava vumi ladies but <laughs> did they consider those women in that state to be erotic we don't know or right. did they represent fertility or was it some sort of origin story which i find much more fascinating which oh. some of them have the heads of like bison right. and the body of a woman right. and so either a are we seeing somebody in a ceremony wearing a bison head or a mask or some sort of thing or are we learning about the origins of where they think they came from? So bison women are literally found across the entire Northern hemisphere. It's fascinating. Really? Wow. Yeah. And so that idea of, so I think that's where, again, a bison woman is not, she's not a pinup. She is the mother of the culture. Well, she she's is, sacred. she's the she's ancestor. Exactly. And so I think we would need to be really careful with taking it down to the porn level like i think we're stripping right. a lot yeah, of potential yeah. that doesn't mean it couldn't be in some cases right like how's that yeah genevieve i've fortunately been to the bradshaws in the kimberleys i've seen oh, them fantastic. in person that's really awesome yeah i also spent a week 150 kilometers south of alice springs in the james ranges oh. where i lived among some overhangs yeah uh, there was thousands and thousands of church chips I found yep. this. Oh, oh, she's a beautiful. Now this is private land. Private land. Yep. It's a, it's a failed spearhead. Yep. It's failed. It's obviously it's a beautiful hasn't point, been though. used. Is yep. it a good try? Yeah, but it's chert. It's chert. Yep. Oh, that's beautiful. The Aborigines they do not, they will not paint in caves that you can't see light. They have nope. to, it has to be in an overhang. Yeah. And so, uh, pretty much lived with. Um, actually some friends who showed me most of the symbols the u-shape means a camp and the yeah, spirals yeah, yeah 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 and that's the thing is that and then 
but if you go to a different part of Australia, they mean different things. Of course. That's the same shape. Yeah. Different. Isn't that but, wild? But Australia has such vastly different ecosystems. So again, though, but to think that originally it was one little group of people and they would yeah. have had one set of symbols that all meant the same thing. And so you're seeing cultural diffusion, it's called, it's drifting over time. Yeah. But the Bradshaws, they say, are the first landing site from the original migration from Timor. And of course, that's going to be coming from Africa and around uh, yes, it is. Asia. I know it's amazing. And, and those Bradshaws yeah. look very African and Indonesian. Yeah, which would make absolute complete sense because you know i mean so i think that's where yeah it's all about age so i think what the the theme that's coming back here over and over again is could they mean this could they mean that right, right. is this space sacred is it one group of people who are making all of it so for me going to portugal was very important um in northern northeast portugal if you ever get a chance listeners go it's incredible it's called Fushcoa. it's the coa valley all of the art there is outside on these incredible slabs of schist, which is this beautiful brownie red rock sticking straight out of these river valleys. The people lived at the base and they their entire landscape was decorated. And these are the exact same things that you find in the caves. And so for me, that was one of those big epiphany moments where I'm like, well, this art's not special. Anybody can look at it. Like, and that idea that, oh. you know... Are we right? Same stuff, exact same stuff. Geometric signs, horses, humans wearing interesting sort of outfits, like like all of it. Everything was right there within like feet of where they were living. So with that in my head, I really started thinking about, oh wow, of course, we are literally dealing with thousands and thousands of years of weathering on the outside. Right. The entire landscape probably looked like that. Wow. So it's just that these caves are time capsules and they preserve because of their closed state. But if we're going back far, I suspect it must have been magnificent to walk through some of these areas. It was probably all on the outside. But there's one spot in Koa where you come around the bend in this river. There are aurochs. So those are the wild ox engraved right. on this massive cliff with this beautiful red rock that cuts white when you cut into it. These auroch are probably like almost six feet long across the back each. There's two of them facing each other and they are up on the cliff line. Like when you come around the bend of that river, you're like, oh, we're in auroch territory. Like you have no doubt where you are. And so I think we need to be super careful again about the preservation being the fact that, um, I mean, I've I've said it a few times, but it's like we're we're looking through the keyhole of a door and we're trying to rebuild the world. That's a really fascinating point. Is why would these are little capsules? Why would you risk your life to go way off into these caves yeah. to paint these things when it probably the exterior was fully illustrated, like you said? And yeah, you know, and what you're saying too, Genevieve. I, I was born with the compulsion to draw. I'm an artist. It's just what I do, and I, I can that. imagine that I would have been in the one of those guys. What I, I mean, it's almost compulsive. I see an yeah. empty space. I want to begin filling it. So I it's love that. Really cool yeah. to. Yeah. So, but just to also say from a genetics and, you know, sort of like hard science side, we've got lots of evidence of men, women, and children making art. So again, keep in mind that maybe some of it was made in rites of passage. Maybe some of it was done as part of a shamanic trance. I would not be shocked to think that, but there's other places where I think it was 
about groups and connection where we've got entire panels of hands and there's men, women, children all overlapping. So I think the biggest thing to me that would be almost the take home message is that there is no one explanation for the art. They used art and graphic marks and communication with the same variety that we do today. We have the Louvre, we have a stop sign. We have Banksy, you know, we, we have emojis. Like we've right. got it all right. and it serves all of these important cultural purposes. Have you found any screw ups? Yes. Like a, like a beautiful thing and they screwed it up and then walked away. I would love to do a coffee table book of like screwed up paintings and engravings yes i have 100 there was one i think it was supposed to be a horse it, it's called the unicorn um i think it's in la pasiaga it's it looks like a dachshund they totally <laughs> got the proportions wrong and it has one ear like it's just right. you're like well that went horribly wrong i've seen drips too i've oh, seen the wow. paint so they didn't get the paint formula right and i'm like uh-oh somebody's apprentice probably got in trouble for that little oopsie <laughs> If you could go back in time. Ooh, okay. Okay. What exciting epoch, what perfect period, what exquisite era would you go back to and what would you want to see? Okay. It's actually where I am working later this year, okay. but I would like to see it during the Paleolithic. Middle Paleolithic, so that's the Middle Stone Age around 80,000 years ago. I would like to be in the Middle East because back then it was a Serengeti, not a desert. And that is the route our ancestors took out of Africa. I would, I suspect the origins of a lot of the art that we see around the world was done there. Oh. Because there's some interesting genetic That's information. The Horn of Africa. So from that Ethiopia, Eritrea, right. Djibouti, which is literally genetically speaking, that's where most because the only ones who made it out alive were the group who made it out around 80 to 100,000 years ago. Older people made it out, but they died off. All of us descended today come from a of, very small band, like 10,000 people. Yeah. So one culture, one language, probably one set of symbols. I would love to figure out where where that actually took place. Yeah. But you 10, know, 000, and, that's a lot of people that that didn't happen at once. That would no, have been slow, a bunch of would right? have been a bunch of forty to yeah. eighty yep. member bands. Some went to Australia. Some went yeah. through to the New World. Some turned north, went to Europe. Right. So again, to find the ancestors though like the group of people we don't know where they are yet so um, where do you want to stand right now in present day world where would you stand to greet someone uh, at this time back in time that you'd like to be oh man either let's see there's either there's a really amazing paleo lake edge that we just found in abu dhabi um, I would like to go stand on that paleo lake edge and see if I could find the people um, that go with it because we found the most fascinating tool field right there. Over a million tools what? within a two football field radius. It's wild. I can't say anymore right now. It's embargoed, wow. but it, isn't that insane? And right from that 80,000 ish year, some of the tools are from that time frame. Like, we, it was one of those moments where my colleagues and I turned and we're, we're like looking at each other and we're like, did we just find the southern route out of Africa? Wait, are these flakes? Well, yeah, all they... these incredible, yeah, all these incredible flakes, like, but huge, oh. huge field of it. And so there's so much mystery. So I'd love to stand there. I'd love to go stand in Eritrea, right where the ancestors lived, and look around their landscape and see if we can find the art. Because somehow oh. it goes from those little zigzags around 500,000 
to the, the paintings of the Bradshaw paintings in Australia or the Chauvets of Europe. What happened in the middle? We're missing. It's all blank on the map right now, but it's right. not really blank. We just need to go fill it in. So right. that would be where I would want to go hang out. All right. I have a question. I, I hope this makes sense. Okay. <laughs> Your idea that the first scratchings of Paleolithic hominin represent the first indication of the recording of information. Yes. Right. So it's a physical record that could be retrieved, shared, yeah. viewed, put in your bag. And and it's, it's basically the first module of memory. Yes. Isn't that yeah. amazing? And you liken this moment in our evolutionary history as mm -hmm. the beginning of a memory module. Its evolution would become the RAM that was used on the Apollo 11 astronauts while landing on the moon. I mean, that's percent. Yeah. Right. So yeah. you go from a scratching, which is something that someone could stick in their little uh, deer, deer skin bag and show yeah. it to Ugg yes. down the river <laughs> and go, oh, oh, oh. and yeah. that is literally the evolutionary bottom from yeah. the uh, module they used on the lunar module. Yeah, it, okay. literally that we, we, if not for those ancestors, we would not have our civilization have the ability if, if, to record and, and, and save isn't it information. Amazing? And it's also, it's the, it's the cognitive shift that takes place when you're like, wait, I can store information outside the body. Right. It's, it's, it's the actual, I mean, it, it is as important as the control of fire. Like truly, yeah. like it's one of the ones that it is foundational to our, like, if you think about our entire civilization is like, binary code um mathematics as you said computers so all these artificial memory systems it, it truly is from you know scratches on a rock it's it it's not the simplicity of them it's what they represent and yeah. it's it's it, those are the ancestral marks it's it's wild so with so much visual information pollution yeah. that exists yes. today kids on screens at a year old where do you think we're headed and is there any way we can get back to simpler times <laughs> well, I mean, I think, okay, so as, are, as a, are we screwed? <laughs> I mean, I think as a paleoanthropologist, um, I mean, paleoanthropologists like to think in even larger blocks of time. But, you know, I mean, I've been, I've spent my most of my adult life studying, you know, ancient humans, the evolution of humanity and our close relative species. And I think the the only, the only rule is change. We've always changed. We've always been adapting. I mean, I'm sure the first person who put shoes on, like made their first shoes, and everybody else is like, what's up with Ugg? To use Ugg, right? Do <laughs> so you think he's some sort of fancy guy with his shoes? And then everybody's like, dang, look at the way he's walking on the ice. Oh, like, like, do you know what I mean? Like, Alan, yeah. Yeah. Um. So I, I think anytime <laughs> you've got innovation and change, it can be it's it's a fraught time right and so i think definitely our our stone age minds and our bodies have been forced through a huge period of change in the last 10,000 years because we literally went from millions of years of hunter gatherer just sort of increasing our hunter gatherer skills and becoming more refined with it to living in sedentary groups to living in very large communities in you know 
eating different foods, having different ways of life, using our brains in different ways. I know sometimes I think about the fact that I'm like, we're a bunch of monkeys driving around in metal ships. Basically, I know, I these think metal that things, too. Right? Uh, like, isn't that uh, a wild so thought? So soon, but so and, uh, soon since we left the the Neolithic. In, in, the, in the true scheme of things, and in, in the bigger sense of time, it's a blink, right? Yes. And so I think that what we need to always... So, so on the one hand, I am... I think I'm more open-minded to the idea that change is what makes us human and our ability to adapt. In the long run, what is useful will stay and what is oh. not useful will fall off. It oh, just happens, you, you know? Well, and so that's how I don't sweat it. How's that? Like in you, the sense but that's that- a I'm, great, It's a great yeah. answer. You're a mother, mother, you have two kids in the other room and you want to yeah. think that, uh, you know, we're leaving the world, um, you know, it's, it's we've been through a lot, but uh, they will oh, figure it out. We're leaving the so. world better <laughs> than when we found it? I don't well, know. No, not necessarily, but we have to have hope for the next generation. Absolutely. And I do, I, yes, I, I, I agree with Genevieve. I think that, you know, we're, we're adaptable and we put the planet through some really severe changes, but I, you know, I have, I've hoped that we'll, we'll get to the right place and the kids will, oh, the kids will be all right. They will, I honestly, the, the kids are magnificent. Like, I mean, if you think about how they're using those hominin brains in these really cool new ways, I mean, I, I think that's where, you know, and, and our ancestors have been through times of incredible climatic upheaval you know yeah. at the end of the ice age i mean like there was points where massive ice dams broke and like flooded entire landscapes with the with the melting glacier waters that our ancestors are much more resilient than we've given them credit for in a way and, and so are we and so i think it's just we're, we're so myopic because we're so close to it that we you need that paleoanthropologist perspective to pull back and be like yeah. okay there's some growing pains but i mean we Overall, I, I mean, again, my friends have labeled me a savage optimist, so take it to the uh, fact that <laughs> I'd rather you be that than a soft pessimist. Sad pessimist. But yeah, so I, but truly, our ancestors have been through the ringer yeah. and, and, and they've always, they've always come out ahead. And usually, and here's one that maybe this is a final beautiful thought, which is the thing that I think is I don't think we killed off the Neanderthals. I don't think, like, I think. Honestly, it's not even that we out competed or fought them or anything. One of the powers of humanity in that deep sense is our social networks. They are incredibly powerful. And when I look at the Paleolithic, when somebody invents something new, you see it fly across Europe in generations. Wow. Like it's quick. Like somebody invents a faster way to throw a spear. Boom, it's over in Western Europe, even though it came out of like the Czech Republic. The Neanderthals didn't share information. And so I think it is these things about us, like our ability to connect, our ability to work together and build off of each other's ideas. I think we have all the building blocks. We're going through an awkward phase right now. But but I truly do think that we're going to make it. We are. That's it's going to be okay. To That's great to <laughs> okay. hear coming from you. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you so much. You're welcome. It was a pleasure. Well, it's always my favorite. So I like talking about my favorite subjects. So thanks for a mind-blowing journey. And uh, hey, uh, Genevieve, thank you so much. It's been a blast talking to you. I could go on for hours and hours with you. I know. And, but I have a hundred more questions. So. Oh, hundred more questions, but thank you. Absolutely. It was a pleasure. I mean, it's my favorite subject. So I always enjoy talking about it. So thank you for having me on the show. All right. Wow. That was so much. I mean, I, I have... I think this is going to be 10 more interviews. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah, it was fascinating. And um, we're uh, she's really on topic and living that that life. Uh, she just lives and breathes paleo art and symbols and uh, an extraordinary person, a great interview. And I want to know so much more. I want to go. Yeah. I want to go to some of the caves. But yeah, honestly, I'm kind of not a fan of going into deep, dark places myself. I love it. I've done many spelunking adventures, yeah, throughout Missouri and Arizona, and uh, it is an amazing and a very scary endeavor. Yeah, no, especially when you crawl into those spaces. And I see, I've seen films of you know what she does, and yeah, and I know a few spelunking friends, and you get down those little narrow passageways, and yeah, uh, no way, no, no. But I think it's interesting because her symbols represent our first forms of yeah. communication well not her symbols but the symbols she's studying represent humans first form of some sort of communication other than just saying here i am other than ug ug <laughs> ug made an appearance here but yeah uh actually i was just going through the symbols and i was starting to just write them all out to see if i could crack the code as she said there's a thousand different explanations and we're not there and and it's going to take some time to put some real meaning to some of these symbols but you know she did say off our interview some amazing discoveries and i can't wait to interview her in a few months time that's the thing about uh these uh these podcast interviews that we've been doing dave a lot of these scientists are actually working on all these cool things that they can't tell us about and they tell us off microphone like what yeah. Oh, yeah. how cool yeah. As you know, Emily and Reagan were working on that fire paper when we interviewed both of them. Two years ago. Oh, they right. kind of alluded to it. And you could, if you play the interview back, they're like, well, we yeah. know what it is. And, and really just say. like that fossil of the mammal fighting the, uh, yeah. the, you know, that was found years ago and it's taken a decade to. Well, they want to make sure they get it right, man. That's what I love. I love about science. You know, if something is real until you prove it otherwise and hopefully improve on the information that you're growing about. I'm kind of that way. I'm sure you are that way, too. Uh, when you're working on something, a piece of art or a piece of comedy or a routine, you want to get it right. You know, so I don't like to let my paintings or drawings out into the world until I feel the world is ready, you know? <laughs> so I'm sure you do that with your what your tours, Dave. Well, you, my next tour yeah. coming up, I'm filming my sixth television special, and it is a culmination of four years of shows. So will that be live or? Well, it'll be live in front of a full, full sold-out house. Oh, I see. So that'll be the film. Yeah. Wow, cool. It's an evolution from something small to something big. I want to see that show. Maybe need to fly down and see it. Yeah, I'll be in the sure. audience. I, I have enough hecklers. Thanks a lot, Ray. But anyway, <laughs> signing off from Ojai, California, which made world news last week. That's week. right. Earthquake, because, you survived. Yeah, 5.1, a tiny quake, but it was six miles from my house. So it was a great roller. Wow. And I felt it and the aftershocks were fun and no damage. But it was great to know that I mean nothing in Mother Earth's big scheme of things. Yeah. Anyways, well, that's great, Dave. Uh, it's uh, sunny here. It's all shiny out there outside. I'm going to emerge out there, and I'm going to go enjoy the day here in beautiful Ketchikan, Alaska, by the sea. I'm going to go down and I was going to say feed the humpies, but they have other things on their mind. They don't care about food anymore, Dave. That's it's right. a one-way 
one way. way. What's on their mind, love. Ray? Procreation. Love. Love, love. Dave. It's all about love, man. <laughs> love. love. All right. On that note, uh, I love you, Ray. Oh, man, Dave. Dave. <laughs> Get weird on me, man. I love you too, man. Okay. <laughs> all right. Ooh, I'm out of here. See ya. Thanks for being a paleo nerd. Help us spread the word of science. Rate us on Apple Podcasts and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can even email your questions and comments to nerds at paleonerds.com. Did you know each episode is paired with pictures and links? Check out paleonerds.com for photographic evidence that everyone here has been a paleo nerd for a long, long time. <laughs> <laughs>